Do you remember your first concert that you went to, like rock concert? Yeah, I think so. Was this with your brother? You went with your brother? I'm trying to remember if you've told the story before. Where, where, where was your first rock concert and who did you go see? Uh, I think my first rock concert was at Iroquois Park Arena in Whitby to see the Spoons. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. I would have to say, I think you, that would be my first real concert, if I'm when, not mistaken. Do you remember when that was? Like what year? 81? 82? What about you? Uh, me was, it was a Tuesday. Like today is a Tuesday. Tuesday, December 31st, 1985. So it was a New Year's Eve concert. I went with my brother. My uncle took us. So there's my uncle, his wife, his two kids, and Anise and myself. Maple Leaf Gardens. Went to go see. Open, opening act, I believe, was New Regime. Although I don't... Oh, I was at that show. I was... I was uh... I was I was third row for that show. You're lying to me. I'm dead serious. Who, who New who, Regime, uh, Thompson Twins, OMD. <laughs> we went to the same concert. <laughs> yeah, I had I had I think third row tickets for that. It was a it was a great show. That is hilarious. You we called were, me up. You you were calling me out on bullshit. Don't 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 don't. <laughs> call me out on bullshit when it comes to that go ahead oh <laughs> uh, yes i was at that i think if memory serves me correct that was my first concert yeah yeah that was well, not my uncle. first concert in fact it's funny because uh i had a bud tom barton who i've lost touch with over the years uh he was a metalhead he was like he was a rocker yeah and i remember I can't remember. We've talked about the Star Club previously in some of our episodes with guests. Um, the Star Club. The Star Club is a club in, in Oshawa. Okay. Um, that was sort of the punk scene. Who do we talk about it with? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, and um, I remember taking Tom. Yeah. I don't know which came first, but I took him to two shows. I took him to... Uh, Deja Voodoo, uh, which was a two-piece sort of garagey band mm-hmm. um, at the Star Club. And I also took him around the same time to that show. He and I went to, I took him to that, that show. And he just, like, it was like a, like a light switch went on, a switch went on. And he was just like, and it was more the garagey side that he dug, but it was like, he just totally dug it. And then he started playing bass for, uh, we've talked about Durango 95. We've talked about shark graffiti, um, over the years here. So he started playing bass and formed with Tom Weir, uh, whose brother was in Durango 95. Um, he and Tom and a bunch of other buds started shark graffiti together. I wouldn't have guessed you'd be at a Thompson twins concert. 
I love Thompson Twins back in the day, man. Yeah, I thought they and were OMD. Cool. Thompson Twins OMD. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. We'll we'll do more of these flashback. And that was shows. before New Regime. That was when New Regime, I believe, was being managed by Jake Gold, but before our bands had anything to do with Jake Gold. Oh. Not that Jake Gold would say that he managed us because he told he would Kelvin totally deny that that, he that, that, that people people lie him. about him managing their band all the time, all the time, all but, the you know, time. You know, <laughs> apparently, I have the uh, the press photo to prove that his company was on the bottom of it. But you know. <laughs> And that's the pre-show. That's the pre-show. <laughs> Hi, the following podcast is brought to you by Radical Road Brewery, the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find them at 1177 Queen Street East. That's Radical Road Brewery. So today we are going to talk about the Elma Combo. Yes. A, a venue that has actually been active uh, over the past uh, little while, like during the this pandemic, um, in terms of they've there's a lot of things going on there. There's there's now a uh, a studio that uh, people like past guest Kim Mitchell. Uh, have uh, recorded in and released work from um, from El Macombo Records. Uh, there's also been some virtual shows that have come out of there. Um, so they've been uh, they've been active. But uh, let's go way back to the start of El Macombo. And, and your band has also played, or one of your bands, or yep. I don't know. If yeah, we have. And it's funny. It's, it's funny, funny because. W- yeah, it's funny because when you reached out, not when we reached out, but when you said to me, let's let's hop on and do a, a Lost Venues, and I said Elma Combo, you know, again, it wasn't until I started thinking back and the future to realize it's not like, like there was a period of time not long ago where it was going to be a Lost Venue, right? Like, yeah, it was, it I, was I, done and dusted Yeah, um, before Wex stepped, stepped in. Uh, he jokes that he went to go buy the sign and ended up buying the building, I think is how he puts it. Um, so, so it's funny because I was thinking of it as a lost venue, but you know, it's, it's far from it. And I'm looking forward to this conversation for sure. Yeah. It's um, w- during my research, I came across many a blog post, many an article uh, reminiscing about Elma combo because people are saying, this is it. It's gone. It's finished. It's dead. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. closing. It's closing down. Um, one of the more interesting facts that I found out during my research was that the original building, so the address is 462 Spadina, which is just south of college, um, I believe on the west side. But prior to it being a music venue, it was first used, and I don't know how correct this research is or this fact is, but I found it written in many places that it was first used as a haven for escaped slaves. Hmm. Which is interesting. 
Yeah. And, and so I tried to do more and more research on that, but all came up with the same, according to Wikipedia page, it's, it used to be a haven for escape slaves. So I don't know how true that is, but if anyone's listening to this and actually has some documentation, um, that would be really, really interesting. Well, I think over the years, it's been a haven for a number of things, which I know we'll touch on. Um, what I what I found interesting in in sort of going way sort of back fifties kind of time frame is uh-huh. um, much like when we talked with uh, uh, McPherson on the legendary Horseshoe Tavern book, um, the Elma Combo was very similar from the perspective of it was a place where you went and had dinner. You had your nice big steak dinner and yeah, yeah, and like you know, and then around the time when when live music was banned, so. It, it has a similar sort of history from that perspective as Legendary Horseshoe Tavern, which I think, uh, you know, people should give a listen to that episode and certainly give that book a good read. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, throughout the years as, you know, different owners, and there were a lot of owners, and we'll touch on some of them as well. Um, there were a lot of owners over the years and just different, like just the way it evolved um, over time. Yeah. Have you heard of the term rowdyism? I've I, I don't know. This this I think this, so, but I'm... this came up during research. So apparently, apparently, um, you weren't allowed to sing along or request songs. Doing so was considered rowdyism, and on top of that. If a venue sat fewer than 100 patrons, so 100 guests, the musical act could only be a solo. If there were more than 100, if the, if the venue sat more than 100, it could only be trio. So you never had, this is way back when, in the early days, you never had more than four people on stage at the Elma Combo because of this rowdyism bylaw and heaven forbid if you cheered the band or the singer uh that that would that would not be good it it says uh musicians were notified if anyone snitched about patrons requesting songs or singing along um we are going to have a very conservative town yeah we're gonna have to find somebody yeah. to come on and talk with us about this. Because again, you know, it's interesting, again, Dave touched on not that, but, you know, again, the history and the, the changes and the, you know, uh, the, the, you know, no live music legislated at that time. And what you're talking about here, it'd be interesting to get somebody on. And if anybody knows somebody who can join us to have that conversation, yeah. that would be really cool to, to dive deeper into that history of the Toronto music scene. And you're right. Toronto was a very conservative city. Yeah. And many times throughout its history and the impact that that had on live venues. For sure. We're actually going to have, let me just uh, take a look at my, uh, my calendar. We're actually going to have somebody from, um, from the horseshoe. Uh, Uh, Kenny Sprackman's joining us. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so maybe he'll be able to 
fill us in on on some of that history? Because mm-hmm. he's been involved with a, with a number of venues across the city. Well, he was involved as we've we've done a previous lost venue uh, with the Hotel Isabella. Yeah, um, Kenny was involved with the Horseshoe, uh, the Riv Rivoli, uh, X Rays. Yeah, yeah. So that, yeah, so, that, yeah. That will be interesting. That will yeah. be very very interesting. Um, yeah. Let, let's take a detour. We'll come back to sort of some some historical stuff. But um, the first time you went to El Macambo, was that as a as an act or were you a patron? No, as an um, I think as an act. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure the first time I ever went to the Elmo was to play the Elmo. Yeah, way you've back. Been, you've been as a patron though as well. You you've been as a guest. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, my brother's my brother's band Zoodle of His Evil Disco played there. Back in ninety nine, yeah, I think around that time frame, um, that was a great night. Uh, I one of my favorite shows. Well, actually, who did we? A couple of weeks back, we talked with the guys who wrote "Nothing But a Good Time." Yeah, yeah. Um, and we talked about Motley Crue. One of my favorite. It's not Motley Crue, and my dad's not involved, nor is a police officer, nor is Jeff Teravainen, but. <laughs> Uh, one of my favorite shows, certainly one of my favorite covers I've ever seen a band do was Boot Sauce at, at the Elma Combo. And for, I think their encore, they did a ripping version of Dr. Feelgood, Motley Crue's Dr. Feelgood. Yeah. And also during that show, which was awesome, was Maria Del Mar from the band National Velvet, if my memory serves me correctly jumped up on stage and she and drew ling who's the singer drew uh got on the ground in a 69 position and sang the boot sauce song let's eat out and you're looking uncomfortable buddy you're looking uncomfortable that's the end of the show (laughs) thank you for joining us please put your kids to bed oh geez yeah yeah, that was that was an amazing show. It was an amazing, amazing night. Like it was like truly like, and it was, it was like a lot of musicians, musicians. It's like when I talk about seeing Living Color at the Symphony, where it was the who's who of Toronto's music scene. There were a lot of like just big music fans, music fans, you know, people that were geeking out over the music, not just there to see their favorite pop band. Yeah, uh, but yeah, no, I've seen a number of shows, but it's funny. I don't know. I mean, I've 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 been downstairs and seen bands play the downstairs room, but I don't know I've ever gone specifically to a show in the downstairs room. Only upstairs. Only upstairs. Who have you? Yes, yeah, so you talk about some of the bands you've seen. When when did you? Uh, when did you play there? And uh, which incarnation of the band was it? Would have been International Boundaries, I believe, and so it would have been. mid 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 to mid 80s mid to late 80s kind of okay. time frame um it would have been when we and jeff and i would you know drive around and and not just jeff and i jeff and mike and i would and everybody would drive around and we just go to bars and meet with the bookers and see who we could okay. see where when and where we could play yeah and we just play like like i said the cabana room at the Spadina hotel like on a tuesday night you know we didn't care we'd play Alma Combo. Yeah, it was uh, 
and it was back before. And it's funny. I said, again, we're going to jump back and forth future and past. I saw that the Elma combo now has a elevator as an elevator in place. Um, back then there was no elevator so much like the cabana room. You were literally hoofing all your gear. Oh, that's a fl- big floor up. Um, like emergency exit out back kind of thing. Yeah. So in, in my research, Greg, there was talk about, I can't remember the name of the, of the organization was a concert promotions, Inc. CPI. CPI who was booking El Combo at, at a certain point in time. That's sort of nineties, early nineties, I think. Was it was that during your time, or did you speak to like somebody independent there who was actually? Booking? No, that would have been. There was a. I can't remember who was booking back then. It's funny because Danny Miles from July Talk, when we had Danny on a bit ago, he was talking about the person booking the Elma Combo. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave, Dave. Anyway, um, it didn't like again. It's familiar to me, but not that I would have dealt with that person because there was a period of time where I, I can't remember Dave. Anyway who Danny was talking about booked it sort of around the Danny time. Yeah. Uh, CPI was in the middle. And then I can't remember who was booking it back when, back when we did it. Yeah. Apparently when CPI was booking it, it's sort of, from my understanding was almost the beginning of the end of the Elma combo as sort of the place. Cause it was considered like the place to go in Toronto to see really great up and coming, whether it was local bands or international bands. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, we had, you know, when we had um, Greg Godovitz on a, a few episodes back and we were talking about Barrymore's and on that list of bands with Gatto was U2. And That's so right. it was like, you said it was like four bucks or whatever to see U2 on that same tour, if I'm not mistaken, was when U2 played the Alma Combo. You know, Blondie played the Elma Combo. Devo played the Elma. Like I could just go on and on and on back in the '80s time frame, mm-hmm. where you know, if you're a new band and you're coming through town and you can't you can't fill an arena, but you've got a good start cult, not cult, but young following. That's the room you played or uh, wanted to play. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, I mean, I, I think about even you know. Again, I know there was talk about this band playing, um, Matt, the Matt Damon's band, um, playing <laughs> the Elmo back last year. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I mean, when Dave Grohl posted his I voted, get out and vote tweet back in November of last year, the shirt he was wearing was an Elmo combo shirt. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So they did play there? No, there was, the, I, I believe back February, so right before oh, shit right got before. real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the Elmo put out something cryptic about seeing this band and that I think or, sorry, there were tickets available or something. And it was supposed to be for November, I think. Because um, this was, but, this is when they, they, like the grand opening was supposed to be in March. Yes. yes. It was going to be part of that whole series that they were going to do of like sneaks Right, yeah. not sneaks, but um, surprise shows. Yeah, um, yeah. But speaking of surprise shows, before I mean, we get to that, the, before we get to the surprise show, that's not a surprise anymore because everybody knows know, about these shows. You don't know what show I'm talking about. Okay, go ahead. It's not. It's not OMD and Thompson Twins. No, okay, sorry. 
anyway, go on. Go ahead. Before we get there, yeah, okay. Before we before we get there, you know, we we you you talked about uh, YouTube, Blondie Devo, but just to give people a sense, if if they don't know, um, John Cougar Mellencamp, Duran Duran, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan, uh, April Wine, Bo Diddley, uh, Tom Cochran, Red Ryder. Uh, you talked about Blondie, The Cars, Meatloaf, Hendrix played there. Meatloaf, uh, the guy who was named by his mother, Meatloaf? Uh, 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 Queens of the Stone Age, Bon Jovi, Sum 41, Teenage Head. But sort of what put Elma Combo on the map outside of Toronto um, and to also people that had no clue what the Elma Combo was, was uh, two surprise shows, I believe, right? March 4th. Yep. My birthday. When I was 10 years old. You were 10, I was f- four. <laughs> <laughs> and the cockroaches played the Elma Combo. The cockroaches. Cockroaches. From, uh, As... from the UK. A UK, a UK band. A UK band. Yeah, yeah. The opening yeah. act was? The opening act. April Wine. April Wine. April wine. Yeah. I read Wikipedia too. <laughs> I don't know. I don't actually, I don't think that was, I don't even think, was that on Wikipedia? Anyway, it doesn't matter. I don't know. Um, yeah. And the cockroaches played two nights, my birthday. And then yeah. the day after my birthday and the day after and our prime minister's wife. Hey now, Hey now, Hey now. Hey now. Had a, had a meetup with the lead singer. Singer of the cockroaches. A meet and greet, as they say. <laughs> a meet and greet. That was yes. that was a very uh, that was a that was a very controversial controversial. What's a um, what's the term I'm looking for? Anyway, um, appearance. Yeah, it was. It was well. Well, when that happened when, on her when side, on her end. Yeah, I was yeah, like, wait yeah. a second. She's the uh, wife of the prime minister. I think they sort of tried to uh, spin it that they had agreed earlier that day to separate. Yes. So uh, as uh, as young people are, are apt to do, you know, once, <laughs> a, what, once a decision has been made, you sort of, you know, Sow your oats. Sow your oats or, or celebrate or or whatever the case is. Yes. But not to be outdone, Pierre Trudeau then goes on and starts dating Barbara Streitzen, unless that was before. I don't know. I do not know. So um, I don't know the timeline. Yeah. But yes, the cockroaches were not the cockroaches. They were also known as the Rolling Stones. That is true. Yeah. That is true. Um. And, and they've since, correct me if I'm wrong, Greg, on, on many of their massive tours that they go on, they, they tend to come to Toronto to rehearse. Yes, they would often come to Toronto to rehearse and then do a couple of like practice gigs or yeah or whatever. Yeah, no, they, they seem to have, there's a, there's a number of bands. The Who did that, I think, as well a couple of times. The Who would come to Toronto and practice and then do the first show here mm-hmm. um, or do a test show. I know Bowie did 
a couple of sneaks like at the Phoenix, I think. Okay. Um, back a while back. So yeah, I don't know. British bands just seem to love Toronto. It seems not, not, not all. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I'm sure Oasis hates every fucking town they play in, but, but you know, <laughs> generally speaking, no. Yeah, but you're right. You're right. Rolling Stones would come in. They'd set up. They'd, uh, I think, sort of down the view. They'd rent a hangar or whatever. and Yeah. Or, or a factory or whatever and uh, set up. And that's where they do their practicing. Yeah. They'd rehearse and then, and then show up at, at, at different clubs, maybe for one night. Maybe yep. it would just, um, you know, maybe the whole band wouldn't show up, but maybe Mick Jagger just goes and sings with a local band and, yep. you know. Gets gets uh, uh, all limbered up, but yeah, that uh, that uh, those two shows uh, back in uh, 1977 really put El Combo on the on the map, so to speak. Plus, uh, the, plus the album that was re- recorded and released from there, live, the album. live album. I mean, that's you know that that added to yeah the 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 infamy and the. Of the venue, mm-hmm. for sure, absolutely. Um, let's go back to to you playing there. Mm-hmm. Tell tell us about how many times did you play there? I was trying to think of that today when we were talking about it, um, or when I was getting ready. Um, I think I played there twice. Yeah, but I don't know for sure. I I'm I'm 90% sure I have a ticket stub at home. Yeah. Um from the show from one of the shows. Yeah. Um but yeah, I I I I think I think I played there twice. Um and again, it's 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 a it's a it's it is a magical room and I know it had its decline through the 90s and you know into the 2000s there's some good things that came out of that time frame as well. Um, but yeah, it was like you were, you were playing, you know, you weren't just playing any old bar. You were playing the Alma combo. You could yeah. say you played the Alma combo. Um, on the flip side, the band room was as scuzzy as any <laughs> bars <laughs> band room. And, you know, you got paid your 200 bucks at the end of the night when they totaled up ticket sales or tickets that came through the door and, you know, thanks for coming out. So it was like playing any other room, but yeah, it had its mystique for sure. So let, let me ask this question. When you, when you get that money, there's what, four or five of you in the band. Yeah. Um, the owner, manager, booker comes in and starts counting out twenties or tens or yep. whatever it was. Yeah. Um, how old are you at this time? And is $200 the equivalent of $20,000 today in terms of the excitement level? So at that time I would have been, I don't know, 18, maybe. 18. You're not in school. Yeah. You are. Okay. Probably. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was, maybe it was a bit later. Maybe it was like, I mean, if I have to back it out, yeah, I was probably 18, 19 years old. So I would have still been in school, maybe not 19, although I feel like it was back when I was in school and I played the Alamo in high school, back when we had grade 13. Yeah. Um, 
and then yeah, I mean, I mean, was it a lot of money? No. What what did what did the money go towards? It went towards rentals. Went towards gear. Went towards you know band PA. Went towards mics. You know, there was no there was no no money that went to anybody in their pocket. Did you have to bring like I know you're bringing in your own guitars and drums and keyboard and stuff like that. Are you bringing in your own mics and wires? Um, if well? you have your own mics, it's because you want to sing into your own mics and not. Yeah. Because they're pretty gross in most bars. Fair enough. The mics that they would supply. Um, so, yeah. So, we, you know, you know, Jeff and Mike and I would definitely, Sean would definitely have our own mics that we would buy and carry around with us. Um, unless they were in the jam room that we shared with other bands and got stolen, which happened often. Um, just, it is what it is back. Well, I'm sure it's still today. Um, but yeah, it, but, but the PA, no, no, you wouldn't bring your own PA into like the PA would be all set up in the lights and everything. That's all, that's all set up and ready to go. When I said PA, I meant more for your jam room. You would have to rent a PA. Yeah. I mean like a, Sure, system when you're practicing that you would use for practice yeah okay okay yeah that was back when we all played in the pits of hell in whitby that would be a funny episode the place that's, is actually called that's the actually pits of hell? uh we called the pits of hell it's below ottenbrights so do you know ann ottenbright the olympian nope nope from whitby um ann ottenbright famous olympian from i think sydney and la um, Moscow, I think, was in between, so she didn't do that one because that was one which, of her which sport boycotting swimming, I believe. Swimming, yeah, swimming. I'm sure I'm 90% sure. If it's not, I'm going to edit this out in post. Um, anyway, <laughs> so Anne's dad owned a shop in Whitby, I think a clothing shop, and in the basement ah. was was all these jam rooms. So it was, it was like an old, almost like an old, it might have been an old bowling alley if I think about it now. It was probably an old bowling alley. And so you had this hallway and then you had jam room, jam room, jam room, jam room. There were about five jam rooms. That's going to be an episode we're going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to dig up some old guys from Whitby, not old guys from Whitby, from guys from back then in Whitby. <laughs> and uh, we need to have a conversation about the pits of hell. So it was called, we, you know, again, it was called the jam rooms, but we called it the pits of hell. Anyway, where was I going with that? Yeah. So I guess, I guess getting <laughs> paid for gigs was, just, yeah. just it was to cover the practice room space because we probably paid two hundred bucks a month for the practice room space, yeah. And then you know for gear and stuff. Yeah. So I'm still waiting for my T-shirt because I know you've got a, a bunch of T-shirts. But are you also selling T-shirts, CDs as well? Well, there wouldn't have been CDs. This was before CDs. Um. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> no, it would have been. It would have been. I mean, cassettes. I don't know. Yeah, cassettes. Were we selling cassettes then? We were, you know, I'm sure we were selling, I don't even know if we were selling shirts. We didn't really do a lot of merchandising until The Life, which was when the metal band and the Jeff and I merged. And then that's really when we got into the merchandise things. Oh. So that was sort of, that was like 90 on kind of time frame. Um, yeah, not really. No, we didn't. We made tapes and we made cassettes and we distributed them. Okay. But I don't think we were selling them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Any, any yeah. memories of, uh, of the performance uh, of playing in the room? Not really. Again, it's, it's more, it's more just the mystique of that. I remember. I don't like, I really, 
I can, I can, I have memories of other nights more than I have there, but those other nights that I have memories of might be a collective memory. Do you know what I mean? What I mean by that is it's like we played Lee's a lot. So yeah. we only played the Elmo once or twice. So, you know, I have a lot of memories of Lee's palace. They might be a whole bunch of different pieces sewn together as what I think is the memory of Lee's um, more than that, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And same thing like the cabana room. We played that numerous times. Um, you know, the Riv, I remember. And yeah, anyway, X-rays. I know you've said, I don't know if you've said this on other episodes, but, you know, we've talked about, I think it was your responsibility of booking a bus. I don't know if it was a school bus. Yeah, that was booking, Lee's Palace. Booking buses was, with people to come down. Yeah, and that's, it's funny because that's, like, we didn't, we didn't do the merchandising, but we really did focus Actually, no, that would have been the life. Sorry. Um, yeah, so we, we would, that was Lee's Palace, and that's when we played Lee's Palace regularly on a monthly basis on a weekend headlining because we could just, you know, we'd, we'd book. You were the houses. house band. <laughs> yeah. We were regular, regular band playing there. Um, previously with the other band, we were the regular band to be the opening band on the weekends, right? Okay. And again, just for like once a month kind of thing, like, come in play for a bigger band. Yeah. I could completely pack the place like we could later with the life. But no, that was, that was Lee's palace. But um, again, the Elmo, um, it was, it was, it was just one or two times. And yeah, again, it's, I mean, it's cool to play the place. Um, I think, you know, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So let's look forward, Greg. Elma Combo. Does it still have that cachet? Um, will it be booked properly? Like, you know, who who do we go see there? What are, what are your thoughts and predictions? I think I think I think Weck's gonna do a great job with it. I mean, he is he's not a storyteller, but he'll tell a story. Um, he'll build a story. You know, again, his whole, you know, I went to buy the sign and I ended up buying the building. Um, you know, he's a business guy, right? He's yeah. a hustler. So I think he'll do a good job. And, and he has the relationships to get Foo Fighters in for a surprise gig kind of thing, whether it's Foo Fighters or whomever. Um, I think, I think you know, again, we've, we've talked about the history of some of the recorded live albums that came out of there. And it wasn't just April Wine. It wasn't just the Rolling Stones. There were a lot of big a lot of, you know, live albums that came out of there that became famous live albums. Yeah. Um, the fact that Weck has put a full studio in there that is, you know, video and audio, you know, it's going to be, you know, whether, whether that's, you know, I know they've talked about, you know, be able to stream that out or record it for whatever purposes. Mm -hmm. Um, that's going to be pretty amazing. Um, it, he's dropped a lot of money into that place. Upwards of, is it right? 30 million? 35, 35 something like that. Yeah. That's a, that, he must've like gutted that place out. Yeah. I was, I was watching a video that showed where, um, he was either he or somebody else that was giving the, the tour of the new facility. And, uh, 
and they went down, dug out and underpinned the basement so that they could put more bathrooms down there. Oh, wow. And so, you know, the, the, how do you take a, however many it was a hundred, hundred and whatever year old building mm-hmm. and, and on either side and dig down and support and, and, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, that's, I maybe it was him that said that that was a big reason why it took so long was just making sure that, you know, the underpinning was there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's, it's fascinating. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing the new venue and seeing some shows there. I think yeah. uh, it's going to be really neat. I think so. And I think a lot of people are interested in returning to the before times. Yes. You know, going to see, shows uh whether they're concerts music concerts whether they're comedy shows but uh, just going out and, and consuming consuming art i think is going to be uh a big thing yep for what sure. is going to happen That's... in canada who knows maybe 2022 maybe the end of this year who knows when everyone's going to get uh, uh I don't know. vaccinated uh or at I least enough people that it's considered uh herd immunity yeah Yeah, hopefully we're there soon so here's one for you we've talked about the prime minister yes what what premier played what ontario premier played the almacolo ah did he do like a a week residency almost but did a did a bunch of shows i don't know that sat down and, and and tickled the ivory yes yeah bob ray bob ray played there yep did he do it? Did he do a residency? I didn't realize that. I know. I, know, I know him a, doing like part of a charity thing, but or. yeah, it was for charity. And I think residency. It might not have been an official residency, but he played a number of shows during the week. Yeah. Um, yeah. For for uh, for charity, I I didn't know. That, so speaking uh, of that, that and I don't know if it's the same time, but you know, when you talk about charity, you can't talk about the Elma combo without thinking of one of the owners. And we've talked about numerous owners uh-huh. and I'm going to butcher his name. Abbas Jahangiri. I came across that name and that was a really strange time in the history. Yeah. But, but like, like again, again, we're, we're currently in the month of Ramadan and it's about yeah. the time of giving. And I just thought it was really interesting how, you know, somebody like him would buy the Elma combo. Uh-huh. Um, and whether he, you know, and again, I don't, didn't get too deep into it, but you know, he is like, like we think of Muhammad Faki and Jen Evans and those that are, out on the street, yeah, feeding the homeless and you know doing that, and he was very much like that. He was very, his philanthropy was very strong, including a number of the shows at the Alma Combo to raise funds. And if I'm not mistaken, he sold the Alma Combo so that he could give that money back or put that money back into philanthropy. Yeah, yeah, he bought it in uh, 2001, uh, renovated. Uh, upstairs and downstairs. Uh, I believe he wanted the upstairs to be a dance studio. Um, but he used the the club. He hosted a number of events, uh, fundraising for everything from War Child. 
yeah. Amnesty International, Free the Children, World Vision, uh, Blank Fest. And uh, in 2012, he, he sold it uh, to focus on missionary. So, so I'm, I'm curious if in between there, Greg, like between 2001 and 2012, could somebody still go see like rock acts there? Well, it's, I think I don't, yeah, it's interesting because that was a very, not, not controversial, controversial is not the right word. Um, It was was a time where you really didn't know what was going to happen to the place. Like the fact that he wanted to do the dance studio upstairs. So again, when we talk about sort of the eighties booming, the nineties, interesting, some challenges. And then the two thousands, um, it, it really, you know, it was a precarious time. Maybe that's a better way to put it. It was a precarious time for the Alma combo because you really didn't know what was going to happen to it. Yeah. Like the, the notion of putting a, a, a dance school, I think it was upstairs. Um, yeah. I mean the, 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 to close it off, board it up. Mm-hmm. Um, not to break into a blink One Eighty Two song. Uh, yeah, it was really weird. It was it was a weird time for the Alma Combo, um, yeah. but I thought it was an interesting period of time that needed to be noted in this discussion. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely, and it sort of was you know nothing was sort of going on there. It, it, it wasn't a mecca, sort of speak, for uh, music fans necessarily, right? Yeah. You know, bands would come and go, uh, but it wasn't you know kids looking for live music weren't, you know, setting their eyes on El Macambo as a place, as one of the places to go. Um, But, uh, you know, I I think after uh, Mike Mike purchased it in 2014, 2015, I don't know what it was. Oh, not, maybe it was not that far off. But, uh, you know, after all the renovations and stuff, we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to not being a lost venue because, again, there was times when you really yeah. thought it was going to be. So, I'm, I'm a lost venue that I'm came excited back. for the future. Exactly. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm looking forward to the future of it. I think that's a good place to uh, to end this. Perfect. Yeah. And that's the pre-show. No. No. <laughs> no, that's the post-show. That's the end of the show. That's <laughs> the end of the show. 